0: Being a business or treating it properly as a business doesn't have to be as complex as what we think it's going to be. A lot of times it just means filling out an extra form like the Schedule C at tax yeah. time with your personal taxes. So just tracking those sales, recording your expenses so you can have some stuff to subtract from the sales, <laughs> lower the tax bill, yeah. and just you know understanding the ins and outs of where your money is going.
1: Hey, this is Allison and welcome to the Inspire Budget Podcast where we talk all things budgeting, debt, and saving money. Today we have Janet LeBlanc joining us and she is a certified public accountant, serial entrepreneur, maker, and mama located in Greenville, South Carolina. She started selling handmade jewelry in 2011 as a creative outlet from her soul-sucking corporate accounting job. Through her time as a maker, she noticed lots of other handmade sellers had questions about the financial side of running their business. So in 2014, she founded Paper and Spark, where she offers educational content, tools, and spreadsheet templates for makers. Let's go ahead and dive into our conversation about why people are leaving their nine-to-fives and starting online businesses instead. Welcome, Janet, to the Inspired Budget podcast. I'm so happy that you said yes when I reached out to you to ask you to be on the podcast.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for asking me.
1: Yeah. So you have a really cool story that I think not only can inspire a lot of people, but then you also help people kind of, I don't know, follow in your footsteps or make big life transitions. So I want you to tell us a little bit about your history of being being an accountant in corporate America and then discovering that... (laughs) This is not for me and transitioning <laughs> to basically starting your own business, even though it, it kind of took a couple of businesses to get there.
0: Yes. It was definitely a long and winding path. So I started out graduating with a degree in accountant many moons ago and in, in accounting. <laughs> and I worked in public accounting for a couple of years and I really, really did not enjoy it. It was soul sucking. I disliked the hours. I worked in tax, so we had lots of deadlines. I just kind of kept going along the path of trying to figure out what resonated with me, what I was excited about. I worked in corporate accounting for a couple of years after that, and got a little bit of time back in life. So I started selling jewelry on Etsy as a creative outlet from being an accountant and a numbers person. And I loved being a maker. I loved being a part of the creative community. And I just kept hearing from other makers that they had struggles and questions and confusion with the business side of running a shop. Mm -hmm. So that eventually led me to start Paper and Spark in 2014, where I kind of bridged those two things, which was accounting and making, helping creatives understand the numbers side of running their business. So that wouldn't be something that held them back from really going for their, their dreams. But yeah, personal side, I... Taught accounting part-time during part of that. And then once I had our first child in 2013, I quit to be a stay-at-home mom. And, um, and how was that? <laughs> <laughs> as, as many of us know, that was a huge identity shift for me. Mm-hmm. Going from working full-time to being at home full-time and raising a baby pretty much in the vacuum. It was a lot. And I was still making jewelry at that point and running Paper and Spark, which was actually a desktop goods design company at that point. I was making binders and baby journals and all sorts of interesting physical products before I started what Paper and Spark is now. But yeah, I, I really started getting more into being an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur. I can never say that word.
1: It's a Uh, big word. You can't say it five times fast. No, I can't. I can't.
0: (laughs) I really started to explore more of that side of myself. I think after having my daughter, because Mm -hmm. it, it gave me a different sort of purpose.
1: Yeah. You know what I love about your story is that I think that so many people think when you start a small business that you go from your nine to five, you figure out what you want to do and you just do it. Like me, I was a teacher. You actually helped me kind of bridge over to being an entrepreneur, but I love that your story is you were an accountant. You kind of wondered for a couple of years, you turn to things that you enjoyed, you made the jewelry, you did the teaching. And then it wasn't until later that you really, I mean, you did the what desktop goods, Mm -hmm. you kind of did a little bit until you got to really your superpower. Right. And I think that that is so relatable. And I think so many people assume that you just have to know right away when it comes to starting a small business, but that wasn't your case.
0: No, I think that there's a lot of pressure to like find your thing. And a lot of us don't want to take the leap until we know for sure what the thing is, Mm -hmm. but you really, it helps me to think of it more like a path with stepping stones, Mm -hmm. every little weird iteration of business or hobby that I worked on helped me get one path closer to finding what I now think my true calling is. Mm -hmm. But if I hadn't tried all those other things and made lots of mistakes and had lots of failed product ideas, (laughs) then I wouldn't have gotten to know myself
1: enough and know what I felt called to do enough to get to the point that I'm at now for sure. And I'm curious to know, and I know you and I have talked about this, just not in a recording, just everyone (laughs) listening. Janet's actually my cousin-in-law. She's married to my cousin. So we've done things like gone on, little mini retreats together, just the two of us and working. And I love your story of realizing you almost pushed back, right? Because you hated accounting, you hated working in corporate America. So you did almost like the complete opposite, this 180 shift of I'm going to make jewelry and I'm going to design right. products. And then you kept getting almost like this, this pull or this push or this right. hug saying accounting, accounting, tell that story. Cause I think it's so cool.
0: I do actually like accounting in principle. Like I love studying accounting in school, but accounting in practice, my accounting jobs just really weren't for me for various reasons. So when I started selling jewelry, I chose jewelry because it was the first thing I could like teach myself how to do. Mm-hmm. And I did keep seeing these questions from other makers, like, am I supposed to be charging sales tax on this? How do I keep track of these things in my books? And the only thing that I could think of that made me special as a jewelry maker was that I had a background in accounting. (laughs) You know, most people who
1: (laughs) let's let's not undersell yourself here. Lots of things make Janet special. (laughs) I mean,
0: I was, I wasn't a standout jewelry
1: designer, let's be honest. (laughs) And even
0: like when I taught myself Photoshop so that I could design my binders and my printables and stuff, I wasn't a standout graphic designer either. I apologize to anybody who maybe bought a product from me back in the day, but (laughs) (laughs) I did keep getting called back to this idea that like the one thing that, you you know, you take an online business course and it's like, figure out what makes your message different and unique from everyone else's. And Mm -hmm. the only thing I could come back to was I'm an accountant. I'm an accountant. Mm -hmm. And that you enjoy
1: the accounting side.
0: And I I I really enjoyed teaching that too. Mm. And so at first I was like, you know, I'm just gonna blog on the side about accounting for Etsy sellers. And that seemed to take off so much quicker than anything else that I had done prior to that point. And so I had the thought to sell a spreadsheet many years before I eventually did. And I kept saying, I don't want to do that. There's nothing glamorous or exciting about selling a spreadsheet. Like people don't need this. It's boring. Like (laughs) I don't want to do account like boring accounting stuff, but I just kept getting that, that feeling, that call that this is, this is what I was going to do to like help people. And so Mm -hmm. eventually I did, make the spreadsheet, put it up for sale, and that's that was the beginning of paper and spark. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm Which glad now, I did it. <laughs> I know. I'm so glad you did it too. Because now what you do is you really help anyone, any any business owner, is that correct? Mostly people who sell product goods.
0: Yeah. It's usually business owners with some sort of creative spend, physical or digital products. Yes. Yeah.
1: And just make it to where they don't go to jail. I mean, I would say that you do something very important.
0: That that is the end goal. Yeah. But I I mean, I like to say that my bread and butter is selling spreadsheets, but it's really more about selling that empowerment, that Mm -hmm. confidence to take control of your numbers. And it's a tool that will help you actually understand your numbers. You're not just plugging numbers in; you actually now understand what's going on with your business Mm -hmm. so that you can achieve your own entrepreneurial
1: dreams. I said the word. (laughs) Good job. Today's episode is brought to you by my free budgeting and debt payoff cheat sheet. In this cheat sheet, I'm going to be giving you everything you need to kickstart your budget and start paying off debt fast. I'll be sharing with you the most important part of budgeting so that way you can focus on what really works. I'll also be sharing with you how to find more money in your budget and the fastest way to pay off debt. This cheat sheet is so amazing and you can grab it for free by going to inspirebudget.com slash cheat sheet or just click the link in my show notes. You and I've kind of discussed this a little bit about how with the pandemic, we've witnessed what people are calling the great resignation unfold where people just don't want to go back to the office. They don't want to go back to work and they're resigning in these record numbers. I was actually having a conversation with, I don't remember who it was recently and just a friend. And they were saying, I don't understand. What are these people doing? Like they have to do something. What are they just being lazy? Are they just laying around on their sofa? And I remember thinking. Is that what you think I do? Like, Because it is possible that a big group of these people are starting their own businesses. They're leaving their nine to five. Maybe they started Mm -hmm. their own business during the pandemic. They're seeing the freedom in that. So why why do you think that there's this pull to leave that traditional workforce and go to something a little bit different?
0: I mean, I think there's lots of reasons and nuanced reasons behind that. But I feel like the pandemic, when everybody started working from home, you know, for their traditional jobs, everybody kind of got a taste of what was possible, that hmm. flexibility, you know, I I can do this job and do it within a different time frame or from home in a different location or get more done in less time. There's... yeah. There's just it's such a different environment trying to do this from home versus in a traditional workplace. But I, I think a lot of it was kind of inevitable too, because I I I we're just different from our parents' generation. You know, mm-hmm. people will yes. dog on millennials all day, but I think that there's something to be said, whether it's whether it's laziness or not, that we're or is just, it just-
1: grand thinking thinking outside right. the box
0: yes yes for for me a few years before the pandemic i read a book called the art of nonconformity mm-hmm. and that is really what like changed the game to me it sounds so obvious saying this but it the message is really just about like why did we all buy into this idea that we have to work 30 years mm-hmm. and save up for the end of our life save up for retirement and enjoy retirement? Why do we think we mm-hmm. have to do this thing that we don't particularly necessarily enjoy Yeah. just so that we can retire happy? What about the 30 years that you're doing it? And so it's not so much about quitting your job, not being in a traditional workplace. I think it's really about life is short. Everyone deserves to try and find a job that, or mm-hmm. a career path that they're excited about in some way, shape or form. We, we all need to make money to support ourselves, support our family, but we do all deserve to have a job that we're excited about. So I think that's really what has led to the great resignation. People know that
1: they're capable of, of something that makes them happy. Gone are the days where you work at a company for 35 years and get the big retirement party. And, and that's what you're <laughs> working for. throw your own retirement party, like (laughs) go on a trip or something. Uh, Yeah. And
0: I mean, that's great if that's what lights Mm -hmm. you up, but I just, I just don't think that
1: that's the same for a lot of people anymore. Right. Exactly. Okay. So one thing you talk about that I really enjoy is knowing the difference. You work with a lot of people that might be starting out When it comes to building a business and a side hustle and, and working, and then you work with them along the way, right. To, to become like truly legit. Mm -hmm. But my question is, how do you know when, what you have as a hobby that makes money right? Just like a hobby that might bring in some money here and there versus an actual business. And I can say, I used to have this hobby of taking pictures. I did, was not, not good at it, but I did it because it was a hobby. It brought me joy and it, it gave me a little bit of money, but it wasn't an actual business. So how do you define the difference between that and help people understand and ask themselves, okay, is this really a hobby or is this a business? And if it's a hobby, how do I turn it into a business? Right. So you can look at this question from lots of different
0: angles. Since I am an accountant, Mm -hmm. I often look at hobby versus business from a tax perspective. Okay. okay? Because we can use the term hobby to mean a lot of things, but Mm -hmm. from an actual tax perspective, the IRS is more concerned with your intent behind doing whatever this activity is. You can enjoy it and it can feel like a hobby, but if you're, doing that activity with the intent to make a profit from it. And notice that I said intent to make a profit, not necessarily making a profit yet, but if you're doing that with the intent to make a profit, then it's usually considered a business for tax purposes. So I see a lot of people getting started selling online or taking money to be a photographer or doing these things as side hustles. But if you're making sales doing that, and you're hoping to make a profit from this hobby-like activity, then you really want to treat it as if it is a business for tax purposes. And that's really not as scary as we make it out to be like, we think we need to do all these things, right? Oh my gosh, I'm
1: a business. I didn't realize it all the forms I have to fill out right. online that I don't even know what they are yet. That's how I felt. I was like, no, I don't want it to be a business. Cause if it's a business, that means that I could do something that really messes up. That was my fear. Right. right. It's right. like, if it's a business, it holds more weight and responsibility over my life. But if I call it a hobby, then it's just a hobby. It's like, no one can get mad at me. It's just a hobby. <laughs> no one can take me to jail. It's just a hobby. Right.
0: Exactly. And a lot of times that's like our own fears and money mindset and whatnot wrapped up in whatever we're doing, but being a business or treating it properly as a business doesn't have to be as complex as what we think it's going to be. A lot of times it just means filling out an extra form, like the schedule C at tax time with your personal taxes. So just tracking those sales, recording your expenses. So you can have some stuff to subtract from the sales lower the tax bill and just, you know, understanding the ins and outs of where your money is going.
1: Yeah. So you are actually, you helped me with inspire budget from the beginning. I mean, I feel like I should tell the story about how you, (laughs) how inspire budget was born. Matt and I had already paid off all this debt. We were so excited about it. I kept talking about it. And one day at Easter, you were like, Allison, we're done hearing about this. I was like, Janet, you were like, no, like we're done every year. You come with the same message. You should do an online business. And I remember saying, why would I do that? There's already people like, there's already people out there talking about it. What do I have to offer? And you were just very blunt in a very kind way. (laughs) And you basically just said, you have your own voice. You have your own story. You should turn this into an online business. And then two weeks later, I bought the domain name Inspired Budget and you kind of have helped me along the way in my stepping stones. And I feel like that is definitely a talent of yours. And that's what you do now, right? You really help people take something that is a hobby, turn it into a legit business. I'm wondering though, what are some of the mistakes that you see people make that you're like, okay, if you take anything away from this, don't do this one thing and instead do this. I think the
0: biggest mistake I see people make is exactly what we were just talking about, which is the fear of becoming a legitimate business holds you back from really going for it or thinking that you're not ready to be a legitimate business or you're going to screw something up if you decide to make it a business if there's one of you, single member, like you're a sole proprietor, you basically default to being that as your business entity. Mm -hmm. It's not hard to stop or pivot. If you change your mind, like, I think a lot of times we're held up by like, Oh, I don't want to do this because I'm not sure. Yes. If I want to keep going with this, if you're not like incorporating, you know, or doing something big Mm -hmm. legally, it's, it's fine to try out this side hustle, treat it like a business being afraid and avoiding that is probably the biggest mistake I see because sometimes you're really great at what you think is your hobby. And then you get to April 15th and you're like, <laughs> oh, I don't know what happened. I, I made this extra income. I don't have any paperwork. I didn't track anything. What's happening. <laughs> what do mm-hmm. I do now? So don't let that be something that holds you back. It's really, if you can find the right resources, it's not as complicated as we make it out to be. And also I love the story of you getting the little kick in the pants to start inspired budget. I remember that.
1: You remember? It was so good. It was everything I needed. Cause you know, I don't know if you know this, Janet, I mean, I'm sure I've told you for years every year I would sit there at like two o'clock in the morning, come like February teaching, right. You know, teaching is August to may come February. I'm Googling what to do with a teaching degree. I looked into going into corporate, what do they call those people? Corporate trainers, like corp like teaching mm-hmm. the adults, which I mean I guess I do now, but I constantly came back to what do I want to be when I grow up? This is it, I'm good at teaching but I wasn't happy with it. Mm-hmm. And and that's right. okay. Like, I think so many people are like, but you're good at it, Allison. just stick with it. But if it doesn't make me happy, why should I stick with it? Just because right. I'm good at something doesn't mean that it's what I'm meant to do. Right. So let's say that there is someone out there, just one last little tidbit. There is someone out there and they're sitting here thinking, yes, like, I want to find what brings me joy. I want to find what I'll actually look forward to doing as quote unquote work, right? What do you say to them? What tips do you have to help them kind of make their business legit? Like what is, what is one or two things that they can do now that will set them up that come tax time, come a year down the line, they're not sitting here thinking, I forgot this step, or I should have done this sooner.
0: Okay. So logistically, I would say get a separate bank account. for your activity, Mm -hmm. go ahead and call it a business. I'll call it a business instead of an activity. Don't be afraid to embrace the B word, (laughs) get a separate bank account. Don't let that intimidate you. You Mm -hmm. can get online business bank accounts these days for zero dollars. Like it's not how it used to be where you had to pay a minimum transfer Mm -hmm. or anything to set up a business bank account. Having that extra wall between your personal stuff and your business stuff will make tracking your money a lot easier and that's the second logistical thing that I recommend doing is getting a bookkeeping system to support you so that you can track your sales, log your expenses, that way you can know right off the bat how you're doing financially. Yeah. And when and if the time comes that you have to deal with taxes, you'll have the numbers there for you already cuz That's another big mistake I see is just, I think we've probably all been there catching up on your books right before the text (laughs) deadline. It's very stressful. So get that bookkeeping system to support you. The third thing to kind of like dip your toe in the water and boost your confidence a little bit is probably going to be to get your DBA, your doing business as permit or license, which is usually done at the county level. And And it's not expensive. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's either called your DBA or your fictitious or assumed name license, depending on where you're located. And that Mm -hmm. just gives you the ability to legally operate your business under a name different than your own business. So like you're not Allison Bairley, you're inspired budget. And so you have a DBA for that. That just lets the public know that that is you. Yeah. But that is an easy piece of paperwork to fill out. So it's a good one to start with. Yes.
1: And then also, once you do have that separate bank account, once you are tracking those numbers, then you can make informed decision. That's one thing that you've taught me when we've sat down together is you'll have me pull up my time tracking and where are you spending your time and how much money is this making you? And I remember you're like, Allison, are you (laughs) spending so much time doing this? It's not making you any money. And I'm like, but I like it. You're like, no, wait. you need to hire this out, but it just allows you to make informed decisions when you have those facts, right? So,
0: Such okay. a wealth of knowledge lies in your numbers for sure. <laughs>
1: exactly. But okay. You have to have them. You have to have them. So it starts with tracking. Okay. So tell us where everyone can find you. If they want to check out some of the resources that you have, uh, tell us where to go.
0: You can find out all my stuff at paperandspark.com. And I'm also at paperandspark on Facebook and Instagram.
1: Okay. Well, I will link to that below in the show notes. And I think you have like a freebie, right? That I can link to.
0: Yes. I have a get legit checklist. That's really good on this topic. It's just those, all those things on the checklist to start getting your business set up properly. Okay. I'll link to that as well. Thank you.
1: Okay, Janet, at the end of every episode, I like for us to get a, get to know our guests a little bit better. So I'm going to ask you three questions. Don't think too much about them. Just answer them quickly. Okay. So the first one is what is one thing on your bucket list that you want to do?
0: I want to visit all of the Disney parks around the world.
1: <laughs> oh, how many are there? I, I think there's,
0: there are, um, there are six like cities With like, I think twelve parks, and I've been to three out of the six. I haven't done any of the Asian
1: countries. Okay, so what's your next one on your list?
0: I I would like to go to Tokyo Disneyland.
1: Okay, Um, but I mean, I don't have it scheduled, so I don't know if that counts
0: as next on my list.
1: Well, that's your next. Like, (laughs) this is my next goal. Didn't you say you wanted to? Isn't there one in Paris? Have you been? Yeah, I've been to that one. Oh, okay. I thought didn't you say you were going to that one soon, or maybe or no.
0: That would be nice. Bring it, bring it to life for me.
1: Okay. I'll, I'll manifest <laughs> that for you. Yeah. The second question is what is one money mistake you've made that you would tell everybody to avoid?
0: Uh, well, I have a fun story about how I got credit card scammed. Fun. That's more of a PSA <laughs> for people.
1: Okay. Let's hear
0: it. All right. So, About two years ago, we were moving states and Mm -hmm. we were like in transition and I got a phone call from Chase, my credit card provider, and she told me that they noticed some suspicious activity on my card. Okay. And you're moving, right? Right. So you're thinking, okay. She read the transactions aloud to me. It was like Abercrombie and Fitch or something like that. And I was like, no, that's not me. And so she was like, okay, we're going to cancel this card. We're going to mail mm-hmm. you a new one. I need to confirm your identity. We're going to send you a security code and I need you to read it back to me. So now, hold on. Like, did,
1: did this sound like, did she sound scammy at all? She sounded super legit
0: and professional. She was on the phone with me explaining all of this to me for like 30 minutes. Oh my gosh. Um, so I got the code and no. Then I read it back to her and she's like, okay, we're going to mail you your new business card. One to three business days, (sighs) not not business card, credit card, one to three business days. And so then I was like, oh my gosh, we're moving. I'm out of town. Like no one's going to be at this address. Like Mm -hmm. what do I need to do? So, you know, I'm like, I told her I'm not going to be at home. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Good call. Yeah. And so I I ha- even like logged into the computer while I was talking to her didn't see the transactions mm-hmm. and like asked her like I don't even see these showing up as pending yet and she was like that's cuz we flagged them in time don't worry <sighs> about that. So everything's fine I get off the phone and like 2 hours later I log in just to check and oh, no. notice like 10 <gasps> fraudulent like $100 of transactions. Oh
1: my god.
0: What I figured out happened, if you haven't guessed by now, is that they somehow had my card info, but they hadn't run it yet because they knew that when they tried to swipe it, Chase would think that it's suspicious and Mm -hmm. send me a code to confirm that it's me. So they swiped it while they were on the phone with me. Oh my gosh. And I proceeded to read the code
1: back to them.
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) So... So, FYI, so which tells
1: the computer or tells Chase that this it's is... safe.
0: Yes. Oh, yes. So know. that's why when you get those codes, it always says, we will not ask you for this code. <laughs> did it say that <laughs> when you got it? Yes, I'm sure it did. <laughs> and I, I like to consider myself a smart person. Well, you are, today, but I totally fell for that one hook, line and singer. Oh, and then my gosh, when I called actual Chase, like to report the the mm-hmm. fraud at that point, the fraud that I willingly participated <laughs> in. I was like, "How do I know you're Chase? Like, you know, how, can you tell yes! me that you're actually Chase? Can you verify that you know my address or anything? You know, because at that point, I'm like, can I ch- get who my can phone I trust to yeah. begin with? How do I know they don't have like some weird call forwarding service on my phone? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't trust anything at this point. And how Chase they- can't. No, they couldn't do anything. They're just like, "Sorry, ma'am, you know, you're done." This dumb. Is chase, are <laughs> <You're> job. <dumb. laughs> how do I so, know your chase? <laughs> don't trust. If the bank calls you, just immediately be suspicious and don't well, give the code.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that they always say, like, if the bank calls you, you can say, "I'm calling," like, hang up and call the bank back. Yeah. Did you just call you me? Do. But then right. it's like, how do you know? I don't. I don't know. I'm. I think I probably would have fallen for that too, but that's a good one. That's it's just so like, I felt
0: so violated. Cause like yep. I talked to the person that was scamming me. She stayed on the phone with me. And then I made my husband put like a police watch on our house because I told oh, criminals told that we were not home, you know?
1: Oh my gosh. So our only, our latest scam thing was just having this like Google membership almost like this repeated charge of thirteen dollars and one cent a month and it's it comes up as google and it has this guy's name on it michael and i was thinking oh that's my husband like he bought something from like the google play store which when do we ever buy anything from google play i don't know but you know i i have google storage And then the second month it came up and I was like, oh, he's like, why is he continuing to do this? And the third month I was like, what is this Google thing? And it's a scam. Like they just, they, they've gotten really smart, you know, like a low dollar
0: enough amount uh for you to not be suspicious. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: I actually posted about it on Instagram and I got so many people that were like, oh my gosh, I have that. And I've been wondering what that is but it's enough that you don't do something about it. But, mm-hmm. you know, imagine if that person that was scamming you, that's a lot of work they went through. You yeah. know, they went to a lot of work. It takes a lot of improv. Imagine yeah. if they took that energy <laughs> and applied it in a positive way. I know. Right. Yes. We may never know what happens. <laughs> Wait, was your house? Okay. Yes. Okay. It was Okay. Good and no, now you don't no,
0: look there. Nobody anymore. call me and try and scam me after listening to this. I'm not gullible anymore. Don't <laughs>
1: do it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for sharing that story. And the last thing, you just finished this sentence. My favorite thing I've ever spent money on is travel. Travel, for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you have any travel trips experiences?
0: Coming up? Um, we're going to San Diego soon.
1: Yay! Fun. Yeah. I know you. I always see everywhere you go, and you inspire me. You inspired me to travel with kids. Yeah. You do so much traveling with your kids and you always, a lot of
0: motivation.
1: Well, you're always, you know, you see the Facebook pictures and then I get to talk to you in person and you're like, I see like, Oh, it is a lot of work because you started traveling with your kids when they were young.
0: Yes. We actually, last time we did San Diego was when my youngest was potty training and he peed and pooped on me in public in many places during that trip. So, Uh,
1: well, on that note, this was so fun. (laughs) Thank you for joining. And if you want to learn more about Janet, just click the link in the show notes and go check out Paper and Spark. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Janet. I feel like this is a comfort circle moment for me just because she has had such an impact in just getting Inspire Budget off the ground. I hope that this helps you live your best life and reach your money goals. I'll see you next week.